Amen. And we are in the book of Philippians. So if you would turn there, please. Philippians chapter 4. One of the most precious chapters in all the Word of God for Christians down through the ages. It's so practical. It's, it's so rich. It's so full. We'll probably spend a little bit of time in Philippians chapter 4 because we want to do justice to it. And, of course, the great prescription of how we should think. The Lord willing, next week we'll look at that, which is in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Well, that's a, a great exhortation from the Apostle Paul. Well, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 today. Dangerous divisions. Divisions are dangerous. A house divided will not stand. And uh, Paul warns the Philippians, his beloved church, the church that he cares for so much, he warns them of a problem that they have in their midst. And we're going to talk about that problem today and talk about how to solve that problem. And I've called this sermon Dangerous Divisions. And so, first of all, we see, let's just read the first five verses. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That uh, gentleness, graciousness, forbearance, that should be the mark of a Christian, is that we have those kind of qualities. Well, we'll start out with... Your brief outline that you have there, Paul's true affection for the Philippian believers. And he starts out just that way. It's not flowery language. It's not exaggeration. Paul was not a flatterer. Instead, Paul really felt this way. As he was in the prison, as he writes to these that are free, he wants them to know how much he loves, cares for them. He prays for them. He asks for their prayers later on in this epistle. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren. When you love someone and you're separated from them, it hurts. You know, you long to see them. You want to see them. You know, it's great joy when you do. You know, but my longed-for brethren. It's not that he longed for them in the wrong sense. He just desired their good. Desired to see good for them. And he uses the term brethren, you know. And I, I love that term. I use that term brethren all the time, as you know, because uh, in the Greek, when you have the nominative plural, um, whatever that means, don't worry about that. But in the Greek, when you have this, uh, this certain way of reading it, you could read it brothers, and it re- really means brothers. But it also can mean brethren, including women. And I don't think Paul's saying here, even though some translations have said brothers instead of brethren, I don't think he's saying that he only loved the brothers. You know, He loved uh, the people of God. 
And so, therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, and I can prove that in verse 2. If you love those two ladies, then I'm having a problem. Okay. So, therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Piles up affection, you know, because they were his spiritual children. He loved them. He wanted the best for them. To a much lesser extent, much lesser extent. As a pastor, I understand that. It gives me great joy to come into the church on Sunday morning. It gives me a great joy to see you all, you know. It's just a blessing. And those that I know and know well, it's a tremendous blessing to see you. You know, and when you're missing, we miss you. And we are glad when you can go on vacation. We're glad when you can have times like that, you know. But uh, our hearts grieve for those that we don't see and can't see for various reasons. My beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown. You know, my name is Steve, and uh, that's a form of the Greek word crown. That's where it comes from, Stephanus. Stephanus is the Greek word crown, and uh, it's got a PH in it. Um, and uh, the, in Greek, the PH makes an F sound, so Stephanus is how we say it. But um, I use a V. Some of you have used a PH, you know. And sometimes I have to tell people, no, it's Stephen with a V, you know. If I say Stephen, they want to put a PH in there. Well, that's the way that it often translates down. But Stephen with a V. Uh, and anyway, it's this joy and crown. He was their crown is similar to 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Paul says to the Thessalonians, for what is our joy, what is our hope, what is our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? So the one thing that drove Paul was his love for Christ. And then secondarily, he loved those that Christ loved. And he loved his fellow Jews. He loved them. So much so that he tells us in Romans, uh, in Romans chapter uh, 10 or 9, that he would be willing himself to go to hell if that would save the Jews. I don't know if I could say that in all honesty, that I'd be willing to go to hell to save somebody or even a group of people, you know. But if Paul was so willing to do that, and I believe him, no wonder he worked so tirelessly as he did so that those souls would come to Christ and be saved. The very people that were persecuting him, he loved him and he witnessed to them. It's an amazing thing, you know. And Paul had a true love for the people to whom he ministered and a true pastor will love the people to whom he's called to minister. And hopefully over the years that love grows. You know, we have three pastors here at our church, and you're always welcome to talk to them. You're always welcome. Uh, they'll, they'll make time for you, I promise you. I'll make time for you. They'll make time for you, too. We just have to, to, to just ask. Our joy, instrumental in leading so many of them to the Lord directly, and if not directly, through the ministry that had been established, and then the preaching ministry that went forward even though he wasn't there. So he was instrumental in starting the church to which they belong. The crown, that's an allusion to the wreath that was given to Olympic champions. 
You know, the Olympic Games that we see today started right before the turn of the, of the 20th century, uh, and uh, they give out gold medals and silver medals and, and bronze medals to, to the combatants and to the, the victors, those that, that uh, train and win. Well, the ancient Olympic Games started about 700 years before the time of Christ. And the victors would get a wreath. They had a wreath on there. And uh, that was their crown. They were victors. Well, these Philippians are victors. They're victors over sin. They're victors over Satan. They're victors over the world. They're victors over their own world, including the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, the most powerful a powerful nation on earth. You could maybe argue maybe one of the most powerful nations that's ever existed, you know. And they would be persecuted by that Roman government later as Christians. But I want you to look at the long picture here. Where is the Roman government today? And where's the church of Jesus Christ today? One of them still exists. One of them's nothing but a memory that's in the history books, you know. And this is the victor. We have to look at it that way. We have to look at the long haul. Jesus Christ is Lord, and Jesus Christ will gain for himself all of the victory. Rome had Paul in chains, but the gospel wasn't chained. The Roman Empire is no more, and the church of Jesus Christ still perseveres and still goes forward. And we're reading the book of Philippians today, people that have been gone for nearly 2,000 years. And uh, Paul loved them so much. And we're still reading about them and still profiting from the very things they profited from. Victory over sin. Victory over Satan. Victory over the world powers itself. Stand firm in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast in the Lord, beloved. They needed to persevere. Paul was suffering persecution. They soon would be. They needed to persevere. And this takes us right back to chapter 1, verse 27, if you want to flip there for a second. 127. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That summarizes the book of Philippians pretty well. It really summarizes what we're going to see here today, too. But with all that glory, with all that promise, with all those blessings, the seeds of their potential disintegration were there. The very thing that might, not, uh, might make it so they won't be victors, the very thing that would bring defeat is upon them. And you know, as I thought about it, I thought, it's not just the Philippian church that's in danger. It's every church. Every church is in danger of this. We need to really take heed. Our own church can be in danger of this. I'm glad to say at the moment we're not, but that doesn't mean we never will be, you know. And we have in the past had issues, okay? And so we need to take heed of this. And it's not just churches that need to take heed of it. Wherever people gather together and form union, so to speak, there's a real chance of division. A real chance of division. Now, aren't you glad that you never have problems in the workplace? There's never any division there. Okay. 
Aren't you glad you never have any problems in your family? There's never any divisions? Okay. Every institution where sinners come together, and we're all sinners, every institution where sinners come together is going to have to deal with problems, interpersonal problems. But we as Christians should be the best at dealing with these things because we've been told how to do it. Nations have these problems. Right now we live in the somewhat United States of America. Right? And that's probably going to have to change the name. Somewhat United States of America. We're somewhat united. We're pretty divided on a lot of things. So you can go to the other extreme and say, well, things have never been worse than they are today. Yeah, got to read a little bit of history. Read a little bit of history. Read the way we started. That was divisive and difficult. How about the uncivil war? <laughs> I, I, I think it's pretty uncivil, the way that it went down and the things that happened. But um, if you, I've been, I visit Tennessee usually once a year. You can't forget the Civil War if you're living in Tennessee because all the battlegrounds are, are there noted for you with the history of them. They're still remembering them very, very deeply. So, no, we see deep divisions in our nation, and we have to stand on the right side of these issues. I mean, I'm getting reports um, from, from pregnancy centers. Pregnancy centers are, are those that try to help women that uh, get pregnant. They, they don't um, do abortions. They, they try to help the ladies that need abortions. They're getting threats. They're getting threats. Some have actually been attacked. And yet uh, the news really hasn't said much about it, you know. And um, may, may the Lord protect them in the good work that they're doing and the people that work there, you know. You know, we, we've got a Supreme Court justice that wasn't even able to enjoy a decent meal because the protesters uh, gathered outside of Morton's Steakhouse and drove him out the backside so he couldn't even have a decent meal. What, kind of what kind of situation? We shouldn't be doing that to anybody. We shouldn't be doing that to others, and they shouldn't be doing that to him. You know, that, that is ridiculous. Well... I can go on, but I'll stop there. Deep divisions. The Philippians were in danger. And it sounds small, but it wasn't. If it was small, Paul wouldn't have said it. Look at verse 2. I implore Euodia. Okay, stop for a minute. Let's suppose that you're sitting in Philippi, and you're hearing the book of Philippians for the first time. So you're sitting there, and the pastor's reading this epistle from Paul, and you've enjoyed it all along, and all of a sudden you hear your name. <laughs> I implore Euodia. And your mind can work really fast, my friends. You know, you, you're able to think a whole lot faster than I can talk. You know? And all of a sudden, her mind must have just flooded with a thousand thoughts. What's he going to say next? And I implore Sintichi. And now she hears her name. And immediately they know there's a conflict between them. I implore Yodia. I implore Sintichi. And what's he going to say? Yodia's thinking, oh no, he just called me out. What's he going to say about me? 
Sintichi is saying, oh no, he called me out. And he mentioned to Yodia first, I'm afraid he's going to take her side, you know, and, and tell me that I'm wrong and that she's right. And, and I couldn't bear that. Couldn't bear that kind of rebuke. I implore Yodia and I implore Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. What could be better than that? That, that's a rebuke, but it's a pretty gentle rebuke. Because who would want to say, I don't want to be of the same mind as the Lord? And they could also take it wrong. Yeah, Yodia could say, I wish Sententia would be of the same mind in the Lord. <laughs> but Paul says, for them both to be of the same mind in the Lord. So, you know, it wasn't an issue of one of them being in sin. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't that one of them was a heretic. It wasn't that one of them was a gossip. It wasn't that one of them was a problem. They both had a problem, and they both needed to agree together to be of the same mind. Same mind in the Lord, you know. It's not a doctrinal dispute, or Paul would have told us who was right. It's an interpersonal disagreement of some kind and the potential was for people to take sides over a non-essential and divide the church and you know who would love that Satan would love that Satan would be pleased that he accomplished what he wanted to do so human nature tells us that these ladies would have perked up when they heard this I think Gospel truth would tell us these ladies reconciled with each other, whatever the difference happened to be, you know. So, you know, with all that being said and done, I implore, the Greek word is parakleo. Parakleo is probably a word that you may be somewhat familiar with because the Lord Jesus Christ calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete. And he's the one that comes along beside us. He's the one that comes along and comforts us, you know. So I implore, he says it twice, parakaleo. That's one word in the Greek, I implore. You know. And he's actually, with all of his heart, you know, talking to these godly ladies. And they were godly ladies, you know. And he's going to exhort the church to help them, you know. I urge you, verse 3, I urge you also, true companion, he's talking about probably to the man that's reading the letter to him, I implore you also, true companion, and he's talking to the church, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. You know, help these women that labored with me in the gospel. You know, And so we know that they had been helpful to the Apostle Paul, and even though we don't know what their differences are, by the way, I think there's a reason we don't know what their differences happen to be. Number one, it wasn't our business okay, to know what their problems happen to be. And number two, we can take the principles that Paul gives here, which are very, very simple. Be of the same mind in the Lord, and we can apply those to so many hundreds of situations that arise. Very practical. You know, sometimes we miss the point of something by making our application too pointed. I've tried not to do that as a pastor. I've tried not to make really pointed, singular 
um, applications. I want to make applications that we can apply to our heart, apply to our life, that the Holy Spirit can use in our heart and life. If we make them too pointed, we can say, ah, yeah. At least I'm not guilty of that one. You know, that's, that's for somebody else. He's talking to somebody else here. We want to be, have the Holy Spirit talking to us and using the Word of God to instruct us and to help us. So the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. We need some peacemakers here. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Church, come together, help these ladies, and then... And by the way, true companion is the Greek word suzuge. It's an appeal for help. Uh, these women who literally strove together with me in the gospel are now striving against each other. How bad was it? Bad enough to be mentioned. Bad enough to be mentioned in the Word of God. You know, we we make it a habit not to preach against individuals here. And as your elders, we, we make a promise to you that if we have an issue with you, we're not going to wait till it's our turn to preach and then preach against you. you know? uh, this isn't a bully pulpit. Whatever a bully pulpit happens to mean, and it means different things to different people. Uh, we don't use it like that. We, we have issues. We, we come to you and are glad to talk to you. you know. But uh, you, I hope that it would never be such that we can preach in such a way that we'd say, ah, he's talking about so-and-so now. He's got so-and-so on his mind and trying to do that. I, I have you as a church on my mind when I preach. And that's what we try to do as a church, you know. This, though, had gone public enough that it needed to be mentioned. There's a principle. Private things need to be dealt with privately. Public things do need to be mentioned and dealt with publicly. This had gone far enough that it needed to be mentioned publicly, you know. So, with all that being said and done, you know, um, I, I, you know, if this has ever happened, and it has happened a few times in my ministry, you know, somebody's come to me and said, um, Pastor, why were you preaching against me today? I said, well, thank you for confessing. <laughs> you know, that's about all you can say. You know. but really, seriously, we make it a habit not to do that, but to come privately and to help. Okay. It's not our goal to offend. It's our goal to exhort. So please don't think we're picking on you. But if we hit an area that you'd, you know, even if it's an area we've counseled you in the past, we're not preaching against you. We're simply proclaiming the word of God, and we'll say the same thing in public that we would say in private. Now, as we go here, here's an interesting thing. I, I found this to be fast. To me, this was fascinating. I hope you do find it fascinating, too. Um, who labored with me in the gospel. They strove together. They worked hard with Clement. With Clement also. Clement is an interesting character. We think Clement wrote the book of First Clement. Now, there's an apocryphal book or a later book. That's not inspired, the book of First Clement. Then there's another book that's the book of Second Clement. Both of them are profitable. It's pretty well determined that Second Clement really wasn't written by Clement. Whereas most conservative scholars, many of them would say, 
Yeah, we think that this is the Clement that, that probably did write First Clement. 65 chapters. But don't worry, the chapters are short. <laughs> if you want to read it. 65 chapters in the book of First Clement. And the second Clement is basically a sermon that uh, was supposed to be by Clement, but most Eusebius tells us, he was an early church historian, that Clement wrote one epistle. So that's why we think that's probably the case. Is it the same Clement that he's talking about that wrote First Clement? Maybe. I'll say probably maybe. <laughs> you know? I kind of lean to think that it is. Why would it not be? Clement was a disciple under Peter and Paul. He is a second generation apostle. And that makes him apostle with a small a instead of a large capital A, like the apostles, you know. He's a sent one with a small a. He had authority in the church, but he's not inspired, you know. And so he's one of those, according to tradition, that was a leader in the early church. He wrote his epistle of first uh, uh, Clement, not to the Philippians, but he wrote it to the Corinthians. Those Corinthians. <laughs> after, they, after they got fixed up by the Apostle Paul, and 2 Corinthians he tells us how much they've been fixed up, 50 years later, there they are again, you know, having these problems that uh, are dealt with for about 65 chapters there. So, he was an early, early church father. Uh, tradition tells us in about 100 A.D., which um, by then all the apostles were gone. By 100 A.D., he was tied to an anchor and thrown into the middle of the sea. There you go. A martyr for the Lord. I think we can assume what Paul said here, that, that the Philippians' problem was solved. And, uh, you know, sometimes problems reappear. You know why, why problems reappear? Because Satan has tactics that work well. So he uses them over and over again. If you've got a tactic that doesn't work, do you keep on using it? You know, I mean, oh, okay, you failed. Now you fail again. Now you fail again. Now you fail again. If that's what you're going to do, then you may as well run for public office. Okay, that'll, that'll probably work for you, you know. But um, no, as a general rule, if you have a tactic that doesn't work, you find one that does. And when it does work, you use it again. When it does work, you use it again. And, um, you know, that, that's a true principle in sports, you know, in a football team. A football team is strong at doing something. Uh, they'll generally do it, and they'll do it, and they'll do it, and they'll do it again. And they'll do it until you stop them and make them do something else. Satan has tactics that he uses that have been powerful. We've been around for a few years He's been around for a, a long years. He studies and knows human nature. The powers that be, they know. And causing dissension is one of the things they love to do. When Clement wrote, he wrote to the Corinthians, exhorting them to reconcile with each other, to renew their faith, and receive the doctrine of the apostles. That's what he asked them to do. And uh, there is a prayer in First Clement. Let me read that prayer to you. I think uh, 
You'll, you'll see what good doctrine lies behind this. He says, may God who sees all things and who is the ruler of all spirits and the Lord of all flesh, who chose our Lord Jesus Christ and us through him to be a peculiar people, grant to every soul that calls upon his glorious and holy name these things. Faith, fear, peace, patience, long-suffering, self-control, purity, and sobriety to the well-pleasing of his name through our high priest and protector, Jesus Christ, by whom to him be glory and majesty and power and honor, both now and forever. Amen. Pretty good prayer. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, as we finish verse 3, along with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The book of life we find in the book of Revelation, and it's given in a, a negative sense there, but the positive is there. Revelation 20.15, if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire. Verses 4 and 5 to close here. Well, not really quite yet, but getting close. <laughs> 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice is a common theme in the book of Philippians. We find it so often. Look at chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Rejoicing is one of the main themes in the book of Philippians. And, and this, let your gentleness be known to all men, that is a big word in the Greek that's translated gentleness. It can be translated in a lot of different ways. And uh, I'll just use some. Some aren't always the best English, but they'll convey to you the idea of this word. Big-heartedness, forbearance, geniality, kindness, reasonableness, considerateness, charitableness, mildness, even generosity. That little word, it's actually kind of a big word, but carries all those things within it. And the motivation for it all is found in this end here. The Lord is at hand. Engus is the Greek word, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Well, look at chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. Now, how do we avoid being part of the problem? How do we avoid being part of this problem? Very practical. We should ask ourselves, is this an issue that's really important enough to be concerned about? First thing. Second thing, if it's so important that it can't be overlooked, have you gone to the person individually first before you talk to someone else about it? Because talking to someone else about the problem is the easiest thing to do, and it doesn't solve the problem. Okay, Go to the person. Yodius and Sintinchi needed to come together. They needed to talk to each other. So when you have a problem with person A, it doesn't help to tell it to person B. It doesn't take any courage 
to go to a third party and talk trash about another person. Feels good. It makes you even more convinced you're right, especially if you can get them on your side, you know. But issues do need to be dealt with. You know, 90% of conflicts could be solved if we just dealt with them. Dealt with them. Direct back to the person privately. And if anybody ever comes to you like that with a problem about someone else and wants to talk to you about it, best thing you can do is say, well, is it worth making an issue about? And they say, yeah, yeah, it is. Well, well, then you need to go and talk to them. Oh, I can't do that. You're talking to me. <laughs> Why are you talking to me when you should be talking to them? Just a few more verses to end with here. Go to the book of James. book of James after the book of Hebrews is the book of James. A few years ago, preached through the book of James. Very profitable book. It's gotten a bad reputation over the years, unjustly so. The book of James, chapter 3, verse 16, really without a lot of comment, just to, to show you a, a few things from the book of James here. James chapter 3, verse 16, for where envy and self-existing, or sorry, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Remember we said, blessed are the peacemakers? Skip down to verse 6 of chapter 4. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, and James is actually quoting a proverb here. He's quoting Proverbs 3, 34. It doesn't come out exactly the same, but you've got to remember you're talking about three different languages here. It's written in Greek. It, uh, Proverbs 3, 34 is written in Hebrew, and we're translating it all into English. You know, And he's probably actually using the Septuagint version, which is the Greek version of the book of Proverbs here. So he gives a verse, Proverbs 3.34, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let's read James' practical exhortation on Christian duties and privileges that we should strive to keep. And he does it by the sandwich method. I like the sandwich method. Usually you, you say something, you say other things, then you put it, you know, your meat's in the middle and now you, you got the bread at the end. And you got a sandwich. He says, therefore, submit to God. Okay. And then he ends the sandwich by going to verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Submit to God. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Then he gives the meat directions that he has once you've got those things down. I'll just read it to you. Therefore, submit to God. Here it is. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. And then he gives a practical application. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. And there solves a lot of problems. Turn back a couple of, or turn forward a couple of pages to 1 Peter chapter 5. 
The Bible says a lot about this. 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading at the end of verse number 5. Okay? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Where have we heard that before? Well, we heard it in James. We heard it in Proverbs. There it is again, Proverbs 3.34. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I'll take you to one more book. Book of Ephesians. Turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to end here. You know, Satan is the slanderer. And he's the father of slanders in all of this. So we need to be on guard. We need to be careful. Ephesians 4, verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. After he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. I don't think I've ever done premarital counseling without taking people to that verse. Because it is so important to keep short accounts, especially with your loved ones and, and your family members and your spouse. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Because when we don't do that, we're giving place to the devil. And then chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I'm trying to show you. These are not first century problems. These are every century problems. You and I are here for a short time. Satan and the demons have been around for a long time. And they would love for you to be an agent of dissension. They'd love for me to be an agent of dissension. We need to guard our hearts and humble ourselves before God. We must not be ignorant of his tactics. His tactics are pride, selfishness, division. Well, there's a lot more we can say, but the chief example of this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He humbled himself, became obedient, even to the point of death. You know Philippians 2. We say it all the time, and we preach down it here. Humbled himself, became obedient, even to the point of death. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And may that be true of each of us at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, those of us that have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ are your children. Father, help us. To be obedient children, help us to be faithful children. Help us to be loving children. Help us to be humble children. Help us to be those that would put others ahead of ourselves. Help us to care. Help us to have concern.
May Paul be a good example to us. Jesus Christ, the supreme example. And Lord, let us be lesser lights. Let us be lesser examples. The Lord Jesus Christ was perfect. The Apostle Paul was great, but he wasn't perfect. We're your children, but we're not perfect yet. So Father, help us on this road of sanctification. And help us to not traverse it alone, but let us walk it with our fellow believers, especially our fellow church believers. Let us journey together towards the celestial city that Jesus Christ may receive for himself all the glory. He will receive all the glory, Father. We know that he will. And we know that he who's begun a good work in us will finish it until the day of Christ. And on that day, we'll be It will be finished, will be glorified, perfectly sanctified, holy, and able to be in your presence. Lord, we look forward to that day. We're not there yet. Clement was there when they finally tied him to an anchor and threw him into the midst of the sea. Just like Stephen when he was stoned, his eyes closed in death, and then they opened to new life in heaven, only awaiting the resurrection, the final end of all things. So Lord, we thank you for this. Help us to remember our own pilgrim journey and may Jesus Christ receive all the glory in our lives and in our church, which is what we're responsible for. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.